All right, we are live. All so, right. um, welcome to Beyond the Fundamentals. I got uh, George with us again from Council and Might, and we're going to do some Council and Mighting today. Yeah, S Council S E L, not C I L. Most councils in the Bible are evil. Yeah, C I L councils S E L, not Council C I L, because right. most councils in the Bible are evil, and perhaps. Most of the ones after the Bible are evil. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> That's which is the idea. Yeah. I think there's only one occurrence where Correct. council shows up in a good way, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. It's um, I think the elders of Judah in the millennial in the millennium in the Psalms. There is little Benjamin and the council of the elders of Judah, something like that in the Psalms. Yeah. Uh, all right. So today we're talking about Ephesians, uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7. I'm gonna pop this verse up on the screen just so people can see it real quick. And this is a very famous Calvinist proof text. Of course, um, if you know the Bible, you know that there are no Calvinist proof texts. But this is a famous one that Calvinists like to use to try to uh, promote their ideology. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And the idea is that, oh, God creates evil. So I want to show a couple more things while I have this up. Um, the reason this is important to a Calvinist. Um, <laughs> why should, should I do my key points first? Here's my key points. Calvinists need God to be the creator. There's a three key points here. They need God to be the creator of every evil instance of every kind of evil because of the London Baptist Confession 1689 and, and creeds like that, not because of any passage they ever saw in the Bible. In other words, they don't get this idea from the Bible. It has to come from their Calvinism, okay? Going all the way back to Augustine and Manny. And passages like Isaiah 45, 7 are low-hanging fruit to conduct fallacious inductive reasoning generalizations that stem from their ideology, not from Scripture. And one of the questions we would have to deal with was, is, does God have a secret will that contradicts his revealed will? So uh, what are we talking about there? I quickly want to show London Baptist Confession, 1689, chapter three, paragraph one. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will. Freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass whatsoever comes to pass now there's a disclaimer right after this where mm. it tries to say god is not the author of sin nor hath any fellowship therein but uh, honestly to me this the rest of this doesn't make any sense if the first part is true the first part is either true or it isn't and if it's true that's the end of the sentence if you have to add anything to that what you're telling me is that it's not really true and then we have people and, like, and, and what you're saying is that it is logically derived you're admitting the logical yep. derivation there. That's why you have to. Yes, I'm admitting the logical it. derivation because if you if you quote this to a Calvinist and you're like, this obviously makes God the author of sin, they will say, nope, nope. Says right after that that he's not the author of sin, nor has any fellowship therein. But it doesn't make any logical sense that he couldn't be the author of sin if that first part is true. So it's a it's a it's a logical contradiction. And then I'll show one more thing to kind of show where this goes. Um, and then I'll give my little thesis and then I'll let you talk for a minute because I'm kind of hogging things up to get things started. I'm no trying worries. to lay the framework here. Um, we have Calvinists like James White, and he's not the only one to say things like this. 
Um, but we have these kinds of statements that come from Calvinists on a regular basis. And, and people like uh, Sonny Hernandez would probably say the same kind of thing. God, and uh, John Piper. God, this is James White saying, God brings about all things in accordance with his will. It isn't just that God manages to turn these evil aspects of our world to good for those that love him, like Romans 8, 28. It's rather that he himself brings about these evil aspects, even the sexual abuse of a young child. So that is quite an alarming statement, quite an alarming statement. And so when it comes across and probably made by a man whose child never was sexually abused. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know enough about that, but I, I would guess so. I guess a lot of people who have not addressed this kind of thing would say that. So, in Isaiah 45, 7, uh, the, Cal the Calvinist needs this to be every instance of every kind of evil in order to match up and I don't see how they can get this without God so-called being the author of evil. But so my contention, mm. I'll give you my contention real quick, and then I'll shut up for a minute. My contention is that there are places where God is, you know, uh, Genesis 50, 20, you guys intended this for evil, but God meant it for good. That's like a Romans eight twenty eight kind of thing though, right. uh, contrary to what James Wright quote there is. And also you have places where, I, like Ezekiel 14, 9, where I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. But then we can see in places like 2 Chronicles 18 how God would go about doing that, where he's not personally doing it, but allows somebody else who also was the suggester of it. In other words, God, there's no record that God decreed that to happen at any time, much less in the past, but he allowed some, some other entity to go do it, that sort of thing. And it's a consequence for evil. Correct. So my contention is not what a lot of other non-Calvinist Christians would be. Some non-Calvinist Christians would say, um, God is holy and cannot be associated with evil in any kind of way. And I've heard, I've heard like people yelling, stomping, and snorting that God is so holy, he can't be confined with any kind of evil. And my contention is that, first of all, Isaiah 45, 7 is not about moral evil. Right. It's about some kind of calamity. The second contention is that just because God happens to be involved in some way with some things that involves sin, like the crucifixion of Christ, for example, that does not mean that he is involved with everything that is wrong. Because if, if, if London Baptist Confession 1689 chapter, if, okay, if I'll show this one more time and I'll shut up. If, if this was true right here, that God hath in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. He had decreed in himself. If that were true, that would be the Bible right there. That would, that would be all that would need to be in the Bible. That's the only verse you would need. And then you would know that every other single thing that occurred was God's will because that. But we know that there are things like rebellion. We know there are things that are not God's will. We know there are things that, are, that don't please God. So not everything is God's will. Not every, he, he didn't decree and ordain things that come to come to pass. And so I would say that God decreed and ordained things to come to pass that God says he decreed and ordained to come to pass. Right. And if we're not told that he said he did, there's no reason for us to believe it unless you're getting your reasoning outside of scripture, which is our only reason to disagree with Calvinism in the first place. All right, I'll be quiet.
Yeah, so our, our reason for disagreeing, I'm, I'm a former Calvinist, as you are myself, but it's not for any kind of theological prudeness that uh, yep. we are so afraid of associating God with anything that is apparently evil. Yep. Uh, in the first, I believe it's the first psalm that uh, David ever wrote. He says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself to be pure. And with the, he says, with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward in hmm. Psalm 18. And uh, the verse shows up twice because it's a psalm also. It's in 2 Samuel 22, uh, verse 27. With the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. Uh, so froward is, 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 is like in your face, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's another verse where he says, he will repay them to their face, them that hate them. So mm-hmm. God is God is no prude where if you're a liar, then he'll let, he let an evil spirit lie to you. Uh, if you're arrogant, he'll slap you around. That's, you know, and he's, God it's almost he's like you reap what that. you sow, right? He almost, almost like that. And that kind of like Galatians six, you know, if, what a man soweth that, that shall he also reap. You reap in kind and the Lord does no. So we don't disagree with those things out of any, because it's um, we're prudes or anything like that. Theologically, or we're afraid to do that, but we just want to stay within the confines of scriptures. And you might say, you might take that verse from uh you might take that verse from Hebrews where it says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, you know? Um, and the chastening could be referred to as a kind of evil. Let's, um, yeah, especially when he says it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be joyous, but grievous. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at, um, let's look at the dictionary from Webster 1828. And let's look at the different kinds of evil that could be talking about the reason i like to use webster 1828 is because i I, actually i think if i'm not mistaken i think webster was a calvinist i'm not sure but i think he was and we're so far back in the english language the there were about twenty thousand words in common parlance in the 1600s and there's only about ten thousand today and so we're steadily declining uh, in common parlance right but if you go back to 1828 you have a I think that's the closest thing you get in the English language to where you can get in the head of what the translators might have been thinking when they picked English words. Uh, so j- just there for the, for the listeners, there is an alternative that's a very good one too. And what that is, if um, you probably have checked it, it's called the Online Etymology Dictionary. Yes, yes, okay. indeed. That's a great and so one. What that does is actually it tells you the first instances of the english words in in recorded literature and so you'll see like in the 1500s and the 1400s what connotation certain words had and so therefore what may have been in the minds of the king james translators from 1604 to 1611 yeah that's that's a yeah great resource um online etymology dictionary i'm constantly accessing that yeah same so i'm gonna look at this and i don't i hope everybody can see that but what happens is a, a Calvinist will take the word evil here. And because the word evil appears, they will jump to every instance of every kind of evil, like the sexual abuse of a young child. That's what they do with it. But when you look at how the word evil is used, so it, it could be, if we walk through this real quick, could be the bad qualities of a natural kind, mischievous, having, you know, tending to injured injury to produce mischief, an evil beast hath devoured him. Well, and then having bad qualities of a moral kind, wicked, corrupt, perverse, wrong, evil thoughts, evil deeds, evil speaking, evil generation, unfortunate, 
like unhappy, producing sorrow, distress, injury, or calamity as evil tidings, evil arrows, evil days, or maybe you get a flat tire or you burn out the head gasket in your engine or something like that. That would be uh, unfortunate. <laughs> um, evil as a noun, he says it could be natural or evil or moral. In, in other words, so this would definitely be a moral evil. The sexual abuse of a young child would be a moral evil. But this kind of evil could be a natural. A natural evil is anything which produces pain, distress, loss, or calamity, or which in any way disturbs the peace, impairs the happiness, or destroys the perfection of natural beings. Moral evil is any deviation from a moral agent from the rules of conduct prescribed by God. Uh, to him by God or by legitimate human authority or is any violation of the principles of justice and rectitude. So typically the standard answer to this is that the evil that's being talked about in Isaiah 45, seven would be this natural kind of evil. We might say hurricanes, tornadoes, volcanoes, and uh, loss or calamity. So it could even be some kind of political thing or war or an invasion, um, could be any of those kinds of things, could be the evil here. Yes, and, and I like that he actually gives a verse uh, for that, to illustrate that point, because, so, and it's always important, of course, uh, to back that up with scripture. So when it comes, like, if you take the term predestination, a lot of the yeah. Calvinist brethren, uh, they'll go to the dictionary, they'll open it up and say predestination. And with time, because of their influence, the definitions in the dictionary They've have incorporated into the correct. dictionaries. Yep. Right. Because they want to cover all the angles. And so they'll cover the theological angle. And so they'll give the, they'll give the theological Calvinist connotation of predestination. Um, so, however, when you go with the Bible, which, uh, you know, Webster does very well here, when he quotes uh, Genesis 37, 20, where uh, J uh, Jacob says, uh, some evil beast, beast hath devoured him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no way that's... Uh, you know, a contradistinction to like a good beast, like a morally good beast, because right, right. animals are not free moral agents like uh, human beings are. They have no knowledge of good and evil like we do. So obviously that is, it would be um, based, it, it's almost like post facto. If the beast had killed his son, then that beast brought evil about to his son. So it'd be right, right. Beast. When the lion and, takes down the gazelle, it's not, he's not being evil. That's the lion's nature. Correct. And as far and as the gazelle is concerned, as far as the gazelle is concerned, it's evil. Right. But so, the lion isn't being wicked. No, correct. Not morally wicked, at least. And um, I know some people will go there. So I'll just kind of mention it that the e, the word, the Hebrew behind evil there, the root word, at least. Uh, uh, and it's it's uh, I was just making the point that uh, today, actually, on a video, people will say Yeshua. Like it's more spiritual than to say Jesus. The last letter there is a is a is a. It's, you're supposed to be saying Yeshua. Nobody can say that today. Anyway, yeah. Close parenthesis. But the eve, the root the root word for evil there is the same in Genesis thirty seven twenty for evil beast is the same one as for Isaiah forty five verse seven. Yeah, where God creates evil. So we're talking about the same thing, and so therefore we're talking about a natural calamity. So if we're in Yep, Genesis 37, 20, some evil beast hath devoured him. We get this, what'd you call it? Ra. Ra, yeah. You could, today they would say ra, but it's it's what you would call a, a voiced 
guttural fricative. So Rah. it's actually, Rah. Uh, yeah. Rah. Speak Klingon. Adversity, <laughs> affliction, bad, calamity, displeased, distress, evil, favoredness, man, thing, exceedingly great. And it goes on through there. So then if we go to Isaiah 45, 7. And we double click on this word evil. It's the same word. I mean, just to just to show people that it it actually takes it back when you click on it. There it is again. Same one. So the semantic range of this definitely includes evil of a non-moral kind. Right. Uh, there's another one uh, in Genesis also. If I think a lot. Um, where he says some evil will, will, will happen to him. Some evil uh, will befall me? Yes, correct. And he's, he's clearly worried about a natural calamity there. Um, I just had the verse. Yeah, Genesis 19, 19. Okay. So Genesis 19, 19. And again, it's the same root word. Uh, behold, and I can escape the mountain lest some evil take me. And it's clear. I mean, there's there's fire raining from heaven, and it's a judgment of God, and the judgment of God uh, judging sin is a good thing. But um, Lot is worried about some natural evil betaking him. Yep, yep. Not a moral evil. Not a moral evil, but a natural evil. So. Um, I want to I want to point people to a, a resource real quick that I think they will find fascinatingly helpful. There is a there's a website out there called Examining Calvinism. I think it's put together by a guy named Richard Cords. I don't know if he wants his name out there. It's too late now, uh, but he's uh, he seems to be a pretty good guy. He's agreed to come on the show, but uh, we just haven't got it scheduled yet. So. He's got this thing called examining Calvinism. And he's, if you, there's a little enter button, you click enter and it brings you to this page. And then there's a verse by verse commentary. Well, when you get to the verse by verse commentary there, you, it's got an old Testament section. Then it's got a few new Testament sections for dealing with Calvinism. So you might find that useful to go back and look at some of that. But on this particular verse, um, the question is, in, on his website, is this saying that God causes and determines moral evil or wickedness? And even then, you the better question would be determines or causes all moral evil. Because even if you could say that God determined mm. a particular moral evil, and I'm not saying you can, but it, even if you could show that, that does not account for all the moral evil that, that is out there. The So his answer is some Calvinists interpret it as a moral evil desiring a proof text to argue that God causes sin. Calvinists believe that God is predestined to everything, including sin, but that if God does it, then knowing that God is good, sin must be in some way good and serve toward God's overall glorification. Therefore, for man to commit sin is bad, but for God to unchangeably script sin is good. That's Calvinism. And it's also why people accuse Calvinism of being both illogical and reprehensible. The alternative is that this is speaking of judgment, which is conditional. And then he cites Jeremiah 18, 1 through 13. And on the same page, he gives these answers here. And I think the he basically points out that this is talking about some kind of calamity. 
rendering calamity is much better in the context, that kind of thing. So we're talking about some kind of uh, evil calamity. So when people get an opportunity, if you want to go check out ex uh, examining Calvinism, I think it's .com, um, you might, people might enjoy that. Yeah, I want to point people to that too. So basically, moral evil, calamity, that kind of thing is what's going on here in Isaiah. The 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 context of the verse itself um, here, when because he, he the Lord places evil in contradistinction to peace in Isaiah forty five verse seven. Yeah, he says, "I make peace uh, and create evil." So at first glance, when you see that, it's you know usually the the opposites are war and peace. Yeah, I make peace and create evil. So evil there would be, you would you are given to understand that it's peace and war. So I, you know, I basically bring peace on a nation and I cause war, which is very much in harmony with everything else we know from the Bible, where the Lord uses war as judgment, or He gives right, right. Land, the land peace. And um, the cross there, there's a whole bunch of cross references for this. So for example, Amos chapter three verse six is something very similar to Isaiah forty five. Uh, verse 7 and it's again in the context of the calamity in this case being war Amos, Amos chapter 3 verse 6 yeah over on the right hand side is Amos right. 3 6 shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid shall there be evil uh, in the city and the Lord hath not done it and so the, the references to the trumpet being blown of course maybe we're not used to that now but trumpets are blown Mm -hmm. during alarms of war like you have the case in numbers he tells me you blow an alarm of war in ukraine right now sirens sound when the bombs are about to fall like they used to be in lebanon when i was in the civil war so the reference to that is you know if ever there's a judgment being brought then the i the lord have have brought it right and it's evil as far as the person is experiencing it that it's evil from the point of view of because you don't want to experience it even when the lord does something that's good in my life if i find it evil my first um, that's my first instinct. And the Arabs, you know, I'm, I'm Arabic, okay? So we actually use the word evil very much in that sense. I know for some people, they think, oh, it's unfortunate that it was translated evil here. But you got to remember, this is a Hebrew book originally. Right, it's a right. book. Till this mm -hmm. day, tens of millions of Arabs will talk, will use the word, the word shar, evil, to refer to like the absolute worst kind of moral evil that you can imagine, like a satanic work. And, yep. uh, and uh, we'll also use it uh, like, uh, you know, if you're about to get in the car and you're drive, you're going to drive somewhere and, and you mention you're driving somewhere, we'll say, and we'll basically say, may evil be away from you. And what we mean is, may you not have an accident. Yeah. So yeah. Whenever it's not like we're not always using evil in that in that deepest of its senses. And you can I'm sure you can relate even in English. Not every time you use a word are you always consistent in that as if it had that one connotation and nothing else. And you got to allow the Lord that same liberty so, yeah, of yeah, speech that you allow yourself. If, if Calvinism were true, you should be able to find a verse that said, instead of I create evil, it should be I create wickedness or I create sin or right. I create iniquity or I create transgressions. So many options God could have said there <laughs> that he right. didn't say. Right. That's actually, that's a very good point. And, and to that, there is a verse that specifies that he would not do wickedness. And that's Job 34, verse 10, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Oh, don't be surprised if I'm not. Job chapter 34. You probably don't know the reference, but I'm sure you know the verse. Job 34, verse 10. 
Yep. Therefore, hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. So that is positively stated. The, the other said he doesn't do wickedness. He yeah, doesn't yeah. commit iniquity. Habakkuk said, thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. So there, when it comes to wickedness, God does not create wickedness. But evil in the sense of calamitous, naturalistic evil, God brings it about and often as a means of judgment. By the way, um, I'm going to throw this little Easter egg out there. Not a lot of people know this, but Elihu is the, uh, is the author of the book of Job. Most of the scholars will tell you they don't know who wrote the book of Job. But if you have a good Bible, it tells you who the author is. Yeah, because he it's speaks in the first person. He speaks in the first person. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so God's not the author of wickedness or anything like that. He is the author of, he can be the author. Now, so here's what I want to do. I want to show a couple of examples. And this might be difficult to see. Um, it probably will be difficult. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring up the, I'm going to bring up the Bible again, and I'm going to keep this slide on the side and show the difference here. Um, I'm going to go to Leviticus 26. And I'm going to show this text on the screen for Leviticus 26. I have a slide of it, but the, the words on the slide are way too small. Okay. Um, <laughs> because I put the whole chapter on there. So what we're looking at here is if you do, you have these if-then statements, do these things. You shall make no gods or idols or graven image. And he goes through, and I'm, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but basically, because it's, it's long, how many verses is this? Is 46 verses. So if, if you walk in my statutes, if you walk in my statutes, then I will give you rain in due season. I will give you peace in the land. I give you all these things and you'll chase your enemies and they will fall by the sword and 5,000 you shall chase, uh, five of you shall chase an hundred and a hundred of you, that kind of thing. And I will have respect unto you. God is no respecter of persons, right? He has respect to what? To what people do. But everyone that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, Acts 10, 35. And you shall eat the old store, and I will set my tabernacle among you, and I will walk among you. I am the Lord your God. But, 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 here's the first cycle of discipline. So verses 1 through 13 are do all the good things. But if, again, an if statement, not I have decreed before the foundation of the world, no matter what you do, that I have determined. This is conditioned upon what they do. And he tells them in advance, unless he's lying. So... But if you don't hearken to me and will not do these commandments, and if you despise my statutes and your soul abhor my judgments so that you will not do my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will appoint unto you, uh, over you terror, consumption, burning ague, that you shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart, and you shall Sorry, sow your seed. Evil stuff. Yeah, this is evil stuff. So your seed in vain, your enemies are going to eat it. And I will set my face against you and you shall be slain before your enemies. If they hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when none pursueth. And you will not yet for all this hearken unto me. Now here comes the next cycle of discipline. It's for verses 18 through 20. If, if, 
Second, if you still don't hearken to me, I will punish you seven more times for your sins. I'll break the pride of your power. I'll make your, uh, your heaven as iron and your earth as brass and that be your sky, you know, and your strength shall be spent in vain. Your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. Very specific punishments for specific, uh, you know, tra- infractions. Third cycle of discipline. And if you still, if, again, another conditional statement, not I have determined, decreed before the foundational world exactly how it's going to be, but I put if and then algorithms in place to where it is conditioned upon the behavior of the people. If you walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you. That plagues evil according to your sins. So these are, this is reactionary to their sin. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children and destroy your cattle. So there, that sounds like evil. Yeah, well, there, that's exactly what, what uh, Jacob said about uh, Joseph. Some yeah. evil beast hath devoured him. Some, yeah, your highways will be desolate. And if you will not be reformed, uh, I'm sure the Calvinists will jump all over that one <laughs> for all these <laughs> things. And now we could go through the rest of the chapter and they're all pretty bad. So the, the next cycle of discipline is verses 23 through 26. That's the next one. And there's a whole bunch of terrible pestilence, you know, delivered in the hand of the enemy. Those things are evil. And if you will not for all this, hearken unto me. And then the next cycle of discipline, the fifth cycle starts in verse 27 and it goes through verse 39. And, and this is horrible. The flesh of your sons and daughters and the flesh of your daughters, you shall eat. I will destroy your high places. This is terrible. And you can actually, if you look at this, you can see the scattering uh, of under Sennacherib, you can see the scattering in like 720 BC where they all get scattered around. Um, you can see basically the Holocaust is in here. You can see the Holocaust in here, which sure. is terrible. And then after verse 39, but if again, another if statement, if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, they trespass against me. They have walked contrary unto me and I have walked contrary to them. Then I will remember my covenant. If they do that, not, I will automatically regenerate them and make them do that. But if they do that, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac. And I will remember their land and the land shall be left to them and their Sabbaths. And, you know, in the old Testament, everything has to do with this particular biological people from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the land. There's no way to spiritualize these for the church these days, but that, and then we're, if we're in Isaiah 45, seven, what we're, what we're actually dealing with in Isaiah 45, seven is the carrying out of these cycles of discipline on the Jewish people because of what they did wrong. Yeah. And one of the reasons the Lord really has to highlight that, um, let me just, so just to show to, to confirm what we're saying that evil there in context is a judgment on sin. Yes. There immediately yeah. it's a, through war and as you, what you just read there in the law of Moses. Um, and, at one point, at one point, the Lord smites the Philistines. Because I just they want took, to show people like the way I have this, you can't, this is too small, but the way I have Leviticus 26 is kind of broken down for which cycle is which, you know, um, anyway. So the Lord smites the Philistines. When he smites the Philistines uh, with emeralds and the mice, um, yeah. and they mm-hmm. send back the ark, this is in 1 Sam- Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. 
they they basically they take two milk kind uh, that had just just given birth and then they tie them up and they put it on uh, a carriage on a chariot and then they let them go they lose them and then they say this this is first samuel 6 9 they say and see if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to beth shemesh then he talking about the god of israel has done this great evil but if yeah. not then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us it was a chance okay this is important now it was a chance that happened to us yeah okay. incidental so, yeah so now they're they're using evil as in reference to emeralds which that the Lord has a sense of humor smiting them with that stuff yeah. and, and mice. Okay. It's a Now we know it's a judgment on sin because the Philistines aren't circumcised. They were glorifying Dagon, their God over, over the God of Israel. So they're themselves, they're using evil in case in reference to a natural calamity. You find out there's mice later on. They smite yeah. some with yeah. mice. So they're describing the, the plague of the mice as a great evil. And then what they say is this is well if if they if they go straight to Beth Shemesh back to Israel and they leave their basically their calves behind, then it's God that did it. Otherwise, well, then what happened to us is chance. So now the reason why the Lord is so also one of the reasons in Leviticus, he's so careful in saying these things are happening to you as a judgment, uh -huh. as a judgment, because in Lamentations, one of the things that uh this is Lamentations chapter 2. One of the things that the prophet Jeremiah has to contend with is that despite the judgment of the Babylonians coming and destroying the land of Israel mm -hmm. and taking uh, Jerusalem, there mm -hmm. were a bunch of false prophets that were still seeing wrong reasons for the captivity. And so mm -hmm. this is Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14. I'll, I'll wait for you to blow, put it up on your screen for your people. I've got on mine. All right. So Lamentations chapter 2, two verse 14, he says, thy, thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. Ah, yeah. So yeah, this is like the this is point. like the this is like what the Philistines are saying. Well, uh, you know, it's just chance, it wasn't really God. You know, those are things that happen, earthquakes happen, floods happen, it's you know, the seasons. Right, it's a naturalistic approach, and so the Lord in Isaiah forty-five verse seven, what He's saying is, "I want you guys to know this is not just some natural random phenomenon. I have done this, and you need to understand that it's a judgment over sin, so I can bring about your repentance." And then in Lamentations again, in the next chapter, in chapter three, He He spells it out. In the very next chapter, chapter three and verse thirty-eight. Over on the right-hand side? 39, yeah. So, uh, yes. So, uh, wherefore, verse 39, wherefore doth a living man complain a man for what? The punishment of his sins. So, the false prophets, they were saying, they were seeing false causes and burdens of, uh, of banishment. That's such a great connection. That's they don't want such a great connection. That's, they don't want to see that it was God that was doing that and, and God was doing that. And, and the modern illustration, of course, you mentioned it just to finish the idea, brother Kevin is yeah. the Holocaust. And so for, yes. for a lot of most of the, I don't know any Jew today, laws Jew that would dare say that was a judgment of God. They basically say, Oh, it's economic factors. It's, it, it's a geographic factors. It's political factors. And the Lord is in Isaiah for, remind them, says, and Amos, does anything happen, evil happen 
in terms of judgment to war that I haven't done. So the Lord's trying to communicate to them. Yeah. Don't go blaming this on, on randomness. I have done this. Why? Lamentations 339, not because it's random, false causes of banishment like the false prophets, but punishment for your sins. Yeah, so the whole point of God is to show you, I did this to punish you so you can repent. He's not saying... I am trying to prove a Calvinistic uh, talking point here that I eternally decree yeah. things from the beginning of the world. It's so, it's so beautiful what you just pointed out there. Connecting chapter two, where they get the wrong causes and then connecting it into chapter three. You know, I've seen uh, Calvinists use Lamentations 338 as a proof text all the time. The same way they use Isaiah 45, 7. Have, you know, out of the mouth of the Most High, proceeds not evil and good. You know, and the evil is defined in the next verse. Yeah, yeah, in the very next verse. And when you put it in the context, like you know, one reason I always say context and Calvinism never go together, not one single time, ever, never. Um, it's such a synchronicity too that you would mention this because I was just uh I was just having a conversation with Forging Beyond Belief here in the chat <laughs> that about causality. And how the establishment of causality, uh, we, we thought about actually doing a video on that and how people get it wrong. Like we had a guy on this channel recently who was trying to say that the concept of freedom in the United States was, is the cause of why people think there should be libertarian freedom um, in theology. And I'm like, that, that causality is all messed up. But anyway, that's really good that you brought that up. That's a, a beautiful connection there in Lamentations 2.14 connected over to 3.38 and 39 like that. And it, yeah, just don't rip things out of the context. You got to take everything together. Correct. Wow. Too often we, we uh, I, look, I, it's hard. To, I still do it. You know, I, I, I was, um, you bring an external connotation to the text. Um, I did it with tongues and I wasn't even, you know, I was in a Baptist church, uh, yep. Alliance churches. And because the, the dominance of the charismatic movement was so pervasive and so strong that I would still go, even not believing in gibberish, I would still go and read passages of scripture. And when I read tongues, I would be thinking gibberish in my mind. Right. Right. And I had to like unscrew that connotation out of my head. <laughs> You know, it, it took a while. It took a yeah, while. It's, it's a powerful thing once it gets in there. It's powerful. Yeah, Calvinists are really bad about that. They start with a uh they start with the idea that God foreordained everything that comes to pass, and then they read that into the text. They need they need God to be the cause of every instance of every kind of evil. And I word it that way on purpose. There's no wiggle room to get out of there, trying to speak unequivocally. And so when they see a verse like that, it's you know, the temp that their salience landscape pulls that verse and matches it to how they're already thinking rather than matching it to what the text is saying. And Lamentations 2 and Lamentations 3 are very clearly um, saying a particular thing, as you so well pointed out, and they completely miss that. And it's almost like the it's almost like having a systematic theology at all blinds you from being able to see what the text clearly says. And, and it's so funny. They talk about, you know, you can only understand Calvinism. The natural man doesn't get it. And they are, they are the ones that are so blinded from what the text says. They, they can never see that. They will never be able to see that because they're blinded by it. Yeah, well, man, like we can, I, I've thought so often about this. We can get so much into this, this almost the, the psychology behind it, how that it ends up working. Um, 
uh, but uh, not to get uh, off topic, but I want to I want to show another passage of scripture, yeah, brother Kevin. Uh, yeah. This is this would be Jeremiah chapter eighteen, where you have moral evil and natural evil back to back in two verses. Yeah, this is Jeremiah chapter eighteen, and again, we're talking about judgment of God on sin. All right. And uh, this is verse 7, 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8. You see it? Uh, did I say Isaiah? Jeremiah. Right? Yeah, it's Jeremiah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Jeremiah uh, chapter 18, verses verse 7, seven and, eight. and 8. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm displaying that right now. Yeah. Okay. Notes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. You're. So I'm, I'm between my screens there. I'm getting confused. I've got so many <laughs> screens going there. He says, "At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up?" So again, judgment through war uh, to pluck up and to pull down to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, now that's moral evil. Yep. I will yep. repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And the same root word, by the way. So the first evil is the moral evil of the nation. And the Lord says, he says, going back to your point in Leviticus 6, that it, the conditionality, that it's based on... Yeah, 26. Yeah. 26, correct. Based on human behavior. Right. He says, if you repent, though, then the evil, the judgment that I was going to bring about of war... There's, and there's four kinds. He mentions in Jeremiah. He says there's four kinds of evil. There's war, famine pestilence evil beasts and he says that in ezekiel also he categorizes those four then i won't bring it war famine pestilence and evil beasts war famine pestilence evil beasts those are the four kinds of evil that god brings the force he calls them my four sword judgments let's do this um where am i okay so let's do uh, speaking of evil. Let me share my screen again. I brought it down too soon. That's Jeremiah 17. We'll go back there in a second. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. In the, he says, there's another Calvinist proof text. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Okay. Now, before a Calvinist will quote this to you, he will say, he will say, you know, God brings up Pharaoh for destruction just to just to stamp him out and send him to hell, and he gets glory out of doing that. That's what they'll say. And then they'll show this verse as proof for that. Well, when you look at how the Bible uses the concept of the day of evil, it goes back to those four categories. What do you say? War, pestilence. And war, pestilence, famine, and evil famine beasts. And evil beasts. Yeah, so that's, if we uh, go to, uh, that's uh, the reference is uh, Ezekiel fourteen twenty one. I think it's uh, yeah Ezekiel fourteen twenty one. Yeah, and he and and there it's the, the the root word for Ezekiel. Well, if you're gonna let me go back to your screen, see Ezekiel fourteen twenty one. So Ezekiel. 
the sword, famine, noisome beasts, and pestilence. Right. And right. noisome is the same root word, ra, or ra, which, which in other places it was translated yeah. by King James by right as evil. And again, referencing back to Jacob, an evil beast has devoured him. A, a phenomenologically evil occurrence, and the Bible talks about evil occurrence. There is no evil occurrence. It's how people experience things, but it's a judgment of God on sin every time because of the people's own actions. So it's a good, so the evil, you're experiencing it as evil, but it's a moral good because God is judging sin. Sorry, did I, I can't hear you. I think you're on mute. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely That's right. Good. I muted myself. I think it was. It's good though. Sometimes those discussions can be so heavy, even even for ourselves and and the listeners. I muted myself. Little, a little intellectual breath. <laughs> my my allergies are acting up, and I'm muted, <laughs> okay. and I forgot to unmute. I had the same problem yesterday. I need to go get checked for senility. So. Over on Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. And if you look at how the word the day of evil is used, because we just looked at four examples of four kinds of evil, war, pestilence, famine, um, sword. I think I, I doubled one of those. War, pestilence, famine, and oh, what was the other one? Anyway. A war, famine, pestilence, and and beasts, and the beasts. So Jeremiah, and you have to look at where Jeremiah is. He is the he's the pre-exilic prophet. He is the final prophet before Nebuchadnezzar gets and hauls them all away. And so uh, Nebu- uh, Jeremiah says, "Be not a terror unto me; thou art my hope in the, in the day, day of, of evil." evil. Uh, let them be confounded that persecute me. Well, what, what's happening there? He has been thrown in jail by he's been thrown in jail by a bunch of other by by the king by a bunch of other Jews who are about to be taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. But let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed. But let not me be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil. So the day of evil is coming to God's elect people. Romans eleven twenty eight. And destroy them with double destruction. So the day of evil is, in this case, a a military invasion Mm -hmm. and a destruction brought about because of the five cycles of discipline, because of Israel's misbehavior, Judah in this case, misbehavior, and bring upon them. So the day of evil, the Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Now, the wicked person that brings that day of evil is Nebuchadnezzar. And the Calvinists would say they, they equate the wicked with the reprobate. But if you go to Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, I just closed out my, <laughs> I just closed out my Bible like I didn't want to, one of my other versions. If you go to Daniel 4 and look at what happens to Nebuchadnezzar, he, um, he actually comes out and he starts uh, praising God, praising the God of heaven. Yeah. And um, where is that? It might be later on. And uh, at the 34. end of days, yeah, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes 
and understanding return to me and bless the most high. And I praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, mine honor, my brightness returned to me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways and judgment, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, Not bad for a wicked man, eh? That sounds like a conversion to me. <laughs> so, so he's not reprobate. I mean, I, I would think that this guy, he sounds like he is paying homage. I praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, all whose works are truth. I, I don't know what kind of a stronger statement you could get in the old Testament than that, you know, before, before Jesus Christ is known as a person. And so the wicked, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil, you know, context and Calvinism never go together and they don't follow. It's like they don't have the attention span to actually look into the rest of the Bible and see what's going on. Yeah, the wicked was raised up to bring about the day of evil that Jeremiah talks about. But then, so he's not, he doesn't go to hell, it doesn't look like. And then he's converted. He winds up converting after God uses him for his purposes. So he's not some, you know, eternally decree reprobate kind of person. No, and ju ju just here, like, uh, uh, to be fair to some, I know, I know I have some Calvinist uh, friends that they study their Bible. I mean, they're in their book. And um, well, they, they do, study they do, the Bible. They, they do. They do spend time in it through a lens. When it comes to that issue, through a lens. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, you've pointed out often. We we all have lenses sometimes that we have to. They're, kind of they're not in explore learn. mode. They're in um, confirmation bias mode. Yes, because you've got you've got a. I think what happens is part of the the trap is you've got passages, the tenor of whose words matches the mold and um yeah you think well there it is that that yeah. sounds like what i'm saying that sounds like what i what i believe uh but that's a dangerous thing but uh, by the way th that day of evil uh just to show that it's not necessarily fixed in time but can be removed in time again based on prayers or the behavior of the righteous or the wicked the lord had said something like that to sennacherib who uh -huh. was a previous king of Assyria before, uh -huh. you know, Nebuchadnezzar comes in his line, basically. Uh -huh. uh, when he comes uh, and he takes over the cities of Judah and he has besieged, uh, it was uh, Hezekiah uh -huh. in Jerusalem. The Lord says this, this is 2 Kings 19.25. And he says something about that day of evil, though he doesn't use those exact terms. Um, 2 Kings 19.25. Here we go. He tells him, and now, so keep in mind Proverbs 16, 4, that we quoted, you know, that the Lord has made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil, and how you connected that to the judgment on Jerusalem. Yep, yep. Well, here, that was a judgment on Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about to be taken, as it was indeed by Nebuchadnezzar. However, here the Lord tells Sennacherib, hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it, and of ancient times that I have formed it, now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest to be lay waste fenced cities into ruinous heaps and that was the day of evil and the lord says basically saying the same thing says i've prepared for that i'm the one that's yeah giving you the power um to come but of course 
Jerusalem was not ultimately given into the hands of uh, Sennacherib, although it was worthy of it. Why? Because right. Hezekiah intercedes and Isaiah intercedes and the Lord says, you know what? Yep. Okay. And so that, that judgment day gets pushed down the line mm-hmm. into the day of Nebuchadnezzar. And yep. so that's point one. But point two is the way the Lord here um, words it. So all that he's saying is that he made uh, all, all things for himself. He's basically saying he makes some work for himself. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. He makes some work for himself. There's nothing there in that verse in Proverbs 16, 4, when you just take the verse itself that says, in eternity past, God decreed for this guy to behave this way, irrespectively of what he would believe or what he would do. So if you, uh, if you weren't finished with the thought, go ahead and finish your thought. The, the last thing is, is because I know in the, in the mind of a good Calvinist, as I was for three years, so I understand them, then the, the thought would come, well, if, if you're saying that God can change his desires and plans based on the actions of people, then what about Romans chapter 9, where it says the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Yeah. And, and what I always like to point out and what has helped me tremendously is that the author himself of Romans chapter 9, um, Paul, he says, what's true, it's not about works. The choice was not made about works. But it was made in relation to faith. So mm-hmm. I think they stopped there from the conclusion. He says the Gentiles, because they sought it by faith, they found. Whereas yeah. the Jews, because they sought it by works, haven't. So when Paul says it's not, because, it's not by works, that doesn't also mean that it's not because of faith. That's a really good point. Okay? Yeah. It's not by works because it's by faith. But it's not because of some kind of decree. And then you can go on and say, well, uh, Jacob and Esau, well, they, did, they didn't believe. But again, that's where the foreknowledge of God comes in. And they sadly always uh, mix that up with predestination because the Lord knows exactly what kind of men they were going to be because he tells Rebecca what kind of men they would be. He prophesied it, what they were going to be. Yeah. um, What kind of men in relation to faith, not so much to works. Yes. Yes. That's a really good point because I think Calvin has done a good job of getting us to think that faith is a work without even realizing that we're doing it. Correct. Um, especially in that passage. So speaking of God being able to work things together for good, like a Romans 8, 28 kind of thing, like a, like a Genesis 50, 20 kind of thing. You omit it for evil, but God used it for good kind of thing. Um, a human if who has studied martial arts, judo, the judo is the art of taking somebody else's actions and working them into your own moves that overrule that's their good. actions, yeah, that's nice. that overrule that's a, their yeah. intent. That's, that's the nice art. Comparison. Of it. Yeah, nice and, and if a human, if a human can do this, and you, there's also like what you would call judo moves in in warfare as well. A general can do this too. Like the the in Chinese strategies of war, you can do something to provoke your enemy to do like like the straw men over the fence. You can do something to provoke your enemy to act in a certain way, then you can use that action into your own plan. Now, if humans can do this in judo and in war and in other things, well, it's, it, it's so, it's like the Calvinist God is so weak and puny that he can't do that. I mean, he would be, God is, ought to be such a mastermind that he could work anything into his plan without having caused it in the first place. If I'm having a judo match with somebody, if I'm good, 
I don't have to plan what the other person does. They plan and they decide what they do. But if I'm good, I can incorporate it into my plan and overcome. So if we can do I've, that, why couldn't God do that? Absolutely. I've done martial arts, but what well, as you were talking, that's that's a really good analogy. And I have to remember that because I, I love chess also. I play a lot of yeah. chess. Yeah, you and, can use chess and suck people into a certain well, thing. Well, there, there's actually a term in chess for a very particular kind of uh, situation. And it's it's a German term. It's called it's spelled uh, Zugzwang, Z U G Z W A N G. If you guys on the chat, people want to check it out. Z is Z for those of you not in Canada. Right? Yeah, Z. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am in Canada. Eh? Uh, Z U G, <laughs> as in George. Z W A N G. I think it's pronounced Chukchvan, and it literally means compulsion oh. to move. And what it is 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 you know, your, your opponent is doing free will choices and as you are also, but you're not, I'm not controlling my opponent's uh, pieces, but based on his bad strategy or tactic, you make a certain move that forces him to do one or two kinds of moves and they're, and that are always going to be negative to him. Right. And he right. has to do them because you have to play something. You have to, to play something. So I think when they see the word Proverbs 16, four made, they think, immediately they take again like they take evil in the absolute deepest sense of moral evil right. they do the same thing with made that basically god has kind of constituted every atom of that man's being and nature so as to program program in, into, into like putting a certain output because of the input that god has put into him yep and all made is we still use it that way uh, like um Kingmakers, you know, we talk about kingmakers. Uh, like all your, all that saying is that the Lord, because He sees a guy like Pharaoh, He sees that even the Lord. If I'm God, okay, if I'm God, and I'm gonna use somebody to bring judgment, He still has to be competent. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. still have to pick somebody who's competent. He can do. can actually and, do it. <laughs> yeah, and right, right, and proud enough to do it. And I look over at creation, I'm like there's a prime candidate. Okay, this guy, he's got the qualities, he's got the ambition, he's got he's got the, the, the wickedness in him. And I'm going to make a way for that guy to get him to the top. And I'm going to use him yep. to bring him to Jerusalem. And sometimes there is some intervention that I'm going to intervene to influence him in certain directions. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's all made is, is, is can mean. It doesn't have to mean uh, a predeterministic, micromanaging right, right. of every decision even yeah. in jacob and esau the election that took place there was in the womb not before the foundation of the world it was in the womb and then you right 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 <laughs> yeah so um i want to point out a couple other things to people to anyone who might be watching talking about the will of god the idea here is that uh if God creates evil, I'm going to show a couple of these, and these will be interesting to talk about. If God creates evil, what the Calvinist will say is that there are two wills of God. There's a decretal will of God. That's what God decreed to take place. And then there's the perceptive will of God. And so <clears throat> they'll take a passage that says something like, do not commit fornication, right? And they'll say, well, that's the perceptive will of God because it is it is the precept that you should follow. It's the prescription for you to follow. 
But then if you actually do, do go commit fornication, that was God's decreed will. Well, then we run afoul of there's a certain place where it's worded a different way. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, he doesn't say don't commit fornication. He gives you a statement about what the will of God is. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. He, he doesn't say don't commit fornication. He says that's the will of God. Right. Well, we have a Christian here in 1 Corinthians 5.1. He says he's writing to save people, and he says it's, it's reported to the commonly. will of God. What's that? He thwarted the will of God. Yeah, he thwarted the will of God. It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Well, we it's very clear that you should it's it's the will of God that you should abstain from fornication. So the Calvinist would have to say, based on the idea that everything that comes to pass is the will of God, that this fornication over here is the decretal will of God. And uh, that that is the will of God. And then that uh, this over here was just the perceptible. In other words, this is a lie. This is actually not the will of God. What actually happens is the will of God. And this statement about what the will of God is, is actually a lie. That's the only way you can interpret that. They try to squeeze out of that and say, well, you know, that's a, that's a perceptive will, but it's not a precept. It's a statement about what the will of God is in that case. So dovetailing with that, look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. I was mentioning, I briefly, during the, the sermon on, on Sunday morning, I mentioned that just as a parenthesis, uh, I made the point, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Yeah, let me bring this up. Efficaciousness 2.10. And, and now I'm sharecating. <laughs> we're, we're talking about ordination here. The things that God ordains, because what God ordains comes to pass, uh, you know, uh, and of course, in the absolute sense, because everything in Calvinism is absolute. I mean, everything right, is absolute. Right. Everything is always to the m- greatest to possible thinking, extreme yeah. that you can take it. That's how words have to be taken. Yeah. Um, and so you take that that way. Anything that God has ordained must occur. Otherwise, God is impotent. Well, now that we're saved, once we're saved, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Now, look, his, and he's, he, just, he just finished saying not of works, right? So we're not saved by our own works. So you got to read the, the his emph- as emphatic. Yeah. Not of, not of our own works were saved. And then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. So there's a wonderful um, Calvinist sounding kind of introduction. <laughs> it's God's work, right? We are, yeah. it's God's work. It's not man's work. We are his workmanship created by god that's divine work in christ jesus who is god unto good works which god hath before and they probably insert there the foundation of the world ordained that we should walk in them yeah so god ordained that we should walk in good works now does that mean that you and i walk in every single good work that god has ordained for us nope would god like moses said would God that I did every single good work that God has ordained for me. You know how many times the Lord yeah. said, why don't you witness to that guy? And I went, Lord, you really want me to witness to that guy right now? Send someone to witness to him. Lord, I'm going to pray for him. And the Lord's like, I just sent someone to witness him. That's you. And, <laughs> and, and, and I don't witness to the guy to my shame, you know? 
We don't who what Christian would claim that he work he he walks in every single good work that God has ordained for him to walk. Mm-hmm. But he says he ordained for you to walk, unless you believe that you've done all the good that God wants you to do. Who are those uh, practical sanctificationist type people? Aren't there a uh, perfection practical perfectionists? What position yeah. is that? That you, uh, the, the, I think some some people stem from the holiness movement where yeah, sinless per- perfection, sinless perfection, sinless perfection. Yeah, they yeah. believe that they can attain sinless perfectionism. Yeah, but then once you believe that, you've sinned by pride, and you're back to square one. Well, also, <laughs> I think it's stem is tied to a bad definition of sin too. They think that sin, uh, or the avoidance of sin, is avoiding breaking certain rules. Yeah. But you're sinning if you're not doing everything that you can be doing. Oh, the sin is so much. Yeah, it's it, sin is much more than uh, they used to say. Don't smoke and chew and hang with those that do. You know, that's right. It's so, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. There's there's a there is a version of you that is like Christ, and every minute that you are not being that, Correct. you are in sin. Correct. Even if you're sitting on the couch doing nothing and thinking about angels, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never spent a day in my life that I haven't sinned. I don't think anybody has. If you take sin down well, to the thought. Well, if you became a sinless perfectionist, you might. Yeah. Because you got bad yeah. doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, I have the, speaking of Ephesians 2, I want to go back to Ephesians 1 in a second, but I think Ephesians 2.10 is actually a recapitulation of Ephesians 1.4 chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, uh, holy and blameless without him before him in love. Um, I believe that election being chosen is to service, not to salvation. And this seems to be a recapitulation of it in chapter two, verse 10, where he's saying, yeah, it's been before ordained that you should walk and created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Election is to service, not to salvation. But that's another point. I want to show a couple more passages and get people thinking along a couple different lines. Um, I'll share a Kate this screen here. There's this passage in Isaiah 4610. I'm gonna make this a little bigger so people can see it. And it's a famous Calvinist proof text. And this what they use, they use Isaiah 4610 to back up this stuff out of on London Baptist Confession. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass. And so they'll take Isaiah 46.10 to try to back that up, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And they basically read that backwards and they say, everything that comes to pass is what God is doing and it pleases him is how they interpret that, which is not what it says at all. I mean, video game designers can do this right here. No. Yeah. The Bible says that what David did displeased the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Displeased the Lord. And so if that were true, all my pleasure, and I'm going to point this word out over here in Ephesians chapter one, good pleasure, which he hath purposed (laughs) in himself that they'll say the same thing, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, Ephesians 1, 9 through 11, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. himself. That word pleasure is important there. 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him, in whom we also have an attain an inheritance being predestinated uh, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And they'll say, okay, he works all things to the, like every last thing. And I pick at them sometimes. I'm like, doesn't that just mean all elect things or all kinds of things? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, and they'll say, yeah, that's, that's to his pleasure. All, and he all works- the elect world only. So everything that comes to pass is what God is working. First of all, that's panentheism. In other words, there is there are no individuals. The, the idea of an individual is just an illusion, and it is actually God in you doing everything that you're doing, including the sexual abuse of a young child. And that that is panentheism. That is that is the Hindu version of God, where God is in everything, executing his will through everything, and the idea that you are a separate individual entity is, is an illusion, basically. Um, I think what this verse is saying is that everything that God is doing, he's working after the counsel of his, the emphasis is on the word own here. What God is doing he's doing after his own will, not somebody else's. Nobody can hold a gun to God's head and tell him what to do. He does the things that he does according to his own will, but not everything that comes to pass is accordance with his own will. As we just saw, by comparing this verse with this verse. We know that that is not the will of God unless the Bible is a lie. But what I want to point out, like you just said, David displeased the Lord. So if we have this, everything being according to God's pleasure and everything being according to God's pleasure, according to the Calvinistic interpretation, then Romans 7 through 8, this is a faint, this is a funny proof text to me because they think they're disproving Calvinism when they rip this out. I mean, total depravity. They think they're proving total depravity when they rip Romans 8, 7 through 8 out of the context and quote it. Uh, but what they're actually doing is they're showing that their interpretations mm. of these passages are wrong. <laughs> um, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Well, how can God be an enemy against himself? Right. If God is working all things that you're doing in the counsel of his own will, you are, God is in enmity with himself because you're doing what God wants you to do for it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be in order for, you know what, you know what the reciprocal word for subject is sovereign. If you're not subject to the law of God, if anything is not subject to the law of God, then Calvinistic Hmm. sovereignty can't exist. So if Calvinism were true, everything would always have to be subject to the law of God. Uh, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, if everything that comes to pass is according to God's pleasure, this couldn't happen because everything would please God. Even the sexual abuse of a small child would please God because everything that comes to pass would please God. So the fact, I mean, they're... <laughs> I just saw a meme today of somebody standing on one side of a, a plank on a boat, kicking somebody off the other side, not realizing that he's keeping him on. And that's perfect here. They mm. think they're proving total depravity, but they're shooting their own meticulous determinism versus interpretation in the foot while they do it. They that are in the flesh cannot please. I think it. one presented with things like that is when they, they appeal to mystery. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, um, you know, John MacArthur do it. And he says, and, and, and he is presented with such great humility that Paul didn't understand it. Who am I to understand it? 
I think I've heard uh, Leighton Flowers. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds so humble. Yes, uh, that's what got me really, uh, to be honest, into into to really accepting Calvinism was I, w- I was a young man and I wanted to be humble. Uh, you know, I thought that was the humble position to take. But uh, I think Leighton Flowers that it does a good job of of differentiating. He says that's not mystery. Um, when you have a contradiction, A and not A is not a mystery. Yeah, a, you can't have A and not A. I mean, there is a place for reason and for common sense. The Lord says, come and let us reason together. Um, So mystery is something that's unrevealed, but it's not something that's contradictory. Or it's not something that's apparently contradictory, but there is a resolution to it. This is, you're basically saying A and not A and too bad. And at that point, then all reasoning and all argumentation breaks down. Yeah. So it's... There's so many logical fallacies there. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find this photo that I was telling you about and bring it up and put it on the screen because it is hilarious. While you're doing that, I'll read a couple more passages about, because we did start with Isaiah 45 verse 7, where the Lord says to remind somebody just coming in, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. Yeah. I, the Lord, do all these things. And we're saying in context, that's judgment of God on sin, usually um, through war. And uh, you have the same thing. Uh, when it's a judgment on sin, when the Jews worship the golden calf in Exodus 32, the yep. Lord, the Lord basically said, uh, you know, I'm going to take you to the wilderness uh, and I'm going to judge you in the wilderness. And Moses, when he intervenes for them in Exodus 32, 12, he asks God, he says, repent of this evil against thy people, which yep. was, which was God's plan to judge them. It wasn't yep. morally evil. It's a good thing. Judgment is a good thing. It's just that mercy is even greater. Mm-hmm. And then the Bible says, in the next chapter, Exodus 33, verse 4, and when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned that we're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. And this is a judgment. It's an evil that God created, but it was a judgment on sin. It wasn't a moral evil uh, where you can't, you, you can't say that, oh, sexual abuse of, on a child. Well, that's God judging sin. Well, there's plenty yeah. of things that happen to innocent people, and the Bible does use innocence in the in the human term not always in the again absolute sense there's a whole bunch of things that happen that are not a judgment of god on sin that are just pure wickedness mm-hmm. and that never entered to the heart of god and it wasn't part of the will of god and uh it didn't thwart the will of god it's just that he allowed it to happen and he could have and if he wanted to stop it he could have stopped it that, that whole thing about thwarting the will of god is, is just in <laughs> We, we were talking, uh, was talking to some guys about salvation. I think I saw in one of the comments, somebody was saying, well, if you open the gift, if you got eternal life as a free gift and you opened it yourself, then, then you worked for it because it's altogether the same as if you had paid for it. Yeah. You know, uh, that I think work on Christmas morning. Yeah. In the, in the mind of, a, I think the, Calvin, the Calvinist brother is, or sister is trying so hard to make God look great that I'd like, I like to tell him, he doesn't need your help. The harder you try to make him look great, the, the, the weaker uh, you're projecting him to be. Yeah, so That's it's, right. It's a, That's right. You're trying to make him look great in accordance with man's reasoning. Yes. It, it's as if the Lord has some kind of like weakness. That, oh my you know, we have to hide. We have to hide the sweetness of God. <laughs> God can't can't afford to be. We, a we can't have weak. people reading the Bible and thinking it's it, true. Right. And so they like they rush to his help. And I, I really see it like it's really they're rushing 
to save God from appearing weak. So, so I, I was telling some of the some of the friends, I said, "Look, guys, okay, I'm a paraplegic. I'm completely paralyzed. From I mean, the only thing I can do is I can wink my left eye. That's all I can do. I was in a really bad accident, and a surgeon comes in, and this guy, he's the best surgeon in the world. He's got the ability to make me whole again. Yep. But he needs he needs my assent for him to proceed with the medical operation. I yeah. have to assent. And if yeah. I'm there and the only thing I can do, and he says, George, if, you know, I know you can't move, you can't talk, but I know you can hear me, you know, although in Calvin's mic, I can't even hear him, but I know you can hear me. And, <laughs> and if you agree that I, I can twice. heal you, or, yeah, just blink with your left eye yeah. once, you know, and I go like this. And then he proceeds to, to, to save me in effect. Well, in the Calvinist mindset, if, if we're sitting together after, and I'm telling the story six months later with friends, and I'm telling them about the surgeon. Then you did the surgery. That, that, right. How silly. No Calvinist. If, if the Calvinists are sitting there, if the Calvinist brother are sitting there, and, and, they're, and they're listening to that story, somebody tell that exact same story. And he says, you know, and I winked with my left eye, and he performed the surgery. Would they turn around and tell that guy, now, now, now. You, you did it. You participated in that surgery, right? They they wouldn't dare say that because it's so it's so nonsensical. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to God, when it comes to God, oh no, you said yes to the gospel, then you participated. You participate in the gospel, and so look, if your surgeon is so petty and small, then he can be derived of his honor because I winked. Yeah, yeah. Right? If he can feel. He can he, lose the glory. He can, he's offended that I even winked to say yes to the sir. What kind of a petty God would be robbed of glory if a poor beggar just went, yes. So the surgeon could only be worth his salt if he tapped into your brain and made you wink right. first. Yes. So you know, what, that, well, you know how small God appears? You, you're making him so petty. <laughs> you're making him so petty and so small. Oh, well, a question I like to ask Calvinists too is who healed Naaman? Did Naaman heal himself? I mean, he had to go, he had That's to good. positively respond. He had to go dump in the dunk in the Jordan River seven times. Did he heal himself or did God heal him? Who healed Naaman? Well, God made him walk and God made him. God gave him ears to ear. And, and, and he made drew- give him, he made him walk and he made him dip himself, <laughs> but he made him angry also, and and, uh, and it's trying to help God leprosy out. in the first place. And I've seen that so many times. You know, I had, I had a pastor and God bless him. They're good people. I'm you know it's just it's just a, I had a pastor once where the, the parable of the unjust steward. He just couldn't wrap it around his head that the Lord would commend the unjust steward at least in type for being wise in his dealings. And so he rearranged the whole text to mean the exact opposite of what text was saying, because in his mind, you know, the Lord just could never have commended. And there's nothing in the text the, the, the servant, the master did not commend the unjust steward for this dishonesty. He just said, well, that's a pretty wise thing, man. That's it. And, and yeah. they, we rush to this. We rush to Good save job, buddy. God. Yeah. We're like, we're <laughs> rushing to save God. Oh my goodness. God seems so leave him. He's the Lord. He doesn't need you to prop him up. He hasn't been robbed of his glory. You're the one who's robbing him of his glory by making him seem so insecure. He's like the ultimate insecure shepherd. There's no more insecure God shepherd than the Calvinist right. shepherd. He's That's so right. insecure 
that the only way he can derive glory is if you sit there and you are complete comatose and he has to do everything. Right. And if you're there right. as much as wing, no, no, you participated in the operation. You robbed me of glory. How was that again? <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's how, that's how I'm, you know, that's really how he's presented. He's just a petulant little child. Uh, an insecure, petulant little narcissist. He cannot share yeah. the least bit who can't even let you wink to say yes to his operation. That's a work. I found the, uh, okay. <laughs> Here's the, uh, I made it, I made it into a little, I made it into a little meme. There's a guy on a balance beam high up on top of a construction site. And he's about to kick the other guy off the balance beam, not realizing that when he does that, he's going to throw off his counterweight. And so what popped in my head when I saw this, this, this had nothing to do with Calvinism when I saw it. But what popped in my head when I saw this earlier today was when a Calvinist cites Romans 8, 7 through 8 to try to prove total depravity, they're taking away their own footing of meticulous determinism by admitting that there, it's possible for something to not please God. I'm going to put that in my notes right now, because <laughs> if I don't, I'm going to forget. Can you send me that picture? That's really nice. Yeah, I can send it to you right now. Um. So yeah, y'all screenshot that. Let's see here. Yeah, I can send that to you. Uh, I'm uh, getting a little screenshot. I'm bringing up my messenger and I'm sending it to Sally. Yeah, George, George <laughs> you're I'm calling me kidding. Sally. <laughs> <laughs> that's my wife's name for those who don't know on facebook okay <laughs> we have a joint account all right let's go see there <laughs> yeah they're also taking away the footing of their epistemic agency forging beyond belief says if determinism were true god would not have any wills in contradiction it's that simple right hmm so uh, let me see. I'm just trying to thumb through the content that I have on these little slides here. Yeah, that's I say. So there's one last one little thing that I want to bring up is um, this whole inductive reasoning thing. There's a uh, what a Calvinist uh, see a Calvinist needs god to have brought all evil to pass he needs like everything that comes to pass including the sexual abuse of a young child it needs to all be wrapped up in god creating this evil so what they're doing is inductive reasoning and they are generalizing so if you look at the um there's problems with inductive reasoning and inductive reasoning is when you see something and then you infer something because of what you've seen and the problem is that when you generalize and to give you an example of generalizing okay this this website gave an example to draw a conclusion from a generalization for example all the swans i have seen are white therefore all swans are probably white but statistically um, 95 percent of swans are white therefore a randomly selected swan will probably be white that kind of thing but um what uh, bad 
a bad version of inductive reasoning, not inductive method. The inductive method combined with deductive reasoning is what we use to interpret scripture, the process anyway. But when you use inductive reasoning, it would be something like this. If you were to watch the movie GI Jane or something, and you could, if you were to say, because a woman passed Navy SEALs training, that means that all men and women are physically equal. That would be, that would be inductive reasoning. That would Which, be a generalization. And that reasoning is being, is being made all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you would you would be taking a single instance and then broadcasting, generalizing everything into that category based off a single instance, instance, which is bad. It's bad reasoning. So what a Calvinist does is they take a single instance of where God, um, like Genesis fifty twenty, where you meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good, or I am the Lord that God I create evil, or uh, God through you know through his foreordination brought you know orchestrated the events that resulted in the crucifixion of christ acts four and acts two they would see that because god is involved with those that they would use inductive reasoning and say that god is involved with everything that bad that happens including the sexual abuse of a young child which is not which is not what any text of scripture says mm. or or because yeah like because god chose uh jacob in the womb but that that means he chooses everybody the all the time yeah, we're, all if we're all in the chosen womb. in the womb then we're not all chosen before the foundation of the world right inductive reasoning which is we don't want to do inductive reasoning um, I think I've gone through all the passages that I had and all the stuff that I had to go through on this. Um, what else you, you got any, uh, things you want to close off with? We, we've been going about an hour and a half. No, that's, uh, I'm, I'm actually writing down some of the stuff that, uh, that learn I learned today so as not to forget it. So, oh, I think so. I'm, I'm I don't write it on the spot through this. Yeah. The passages you brought up in many places in what second Kings, Samuel, Lamentations, passages you brought up were excellent, excellent passages. And I think they're wonderful. I'm really glad that see, I was planning on doing this video by myself. So when we started talking about this, I was I'm very happy you came on to do this yeah. with me because you really provided a lot of good information that I wasn't going to initially have in this presentation. So this is been a fun discussion well same here um, that's why i'm typing this stuff down for now <laughs> so anything you want to say before we wrap it up any last words of wisdom you want to tell people where they can find your uh well, your youtube channel your yeah, website council and might i can probably type it in the chat uh oh well, they already see it in the chat the name here of uh, council and might so they don't um yeah um we have a the church i'm i i get to, by god's grace i'm pastor of a wonderful church in uh, montreal called hope baptist church of greater montreal hope baptist church of greater montreal hope baptist church of greater montreal yeah we're on we're on facebook also the hope baptist church of greater montreal on facebook we've got some calvinists in the church that uh, love the lord and uh and uh, you know the, we have a we, we rub each other you know one yeah. one of them one of them saw saw a couple of my he says yeah I saw you with Kevin Thompson you know 
We had a, we had a good talk. Uh, Saw you got, dancing with the devil. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of, but he's, he's a very gracious man. And um, uh, him and his son, his, his whole family, we get along very well. And uh, he's been really humble about, uh, uh, mm -hmm. he's an older gentleman in the Lord. And, you know, he's, he's open, you know, he's open. Uh, and we just, I have a cousin that came from, from Yale, two, two of them. And one of them is, he said, he's a three and a half point Calvinist. So we, we enjoyed kind of uh, ribbing each other on that. It's fun, you know, and they're soul winners. And, and, and at least they, there's that part, right? Because you can get so much into Calvinism that you kind of give up. Right, um, right. You really can. I've seen it happen. That happens a lot. Yeah, I think we talked about that on here before. Yeah, um, we got along well. And if ever you guys are in Montreal, pass by, check us out. And absolutely. Make sure, you, know, you know the drill, subscribe, like, whatever it is that, uh, that gets those <laughs> truths uh, out there uh, on social media. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. And I yeah. can't wait till next time. Yeah, same here. I'll be going down to Lebanon, uh, taking the family on May 22nd. It's, it's a bit dangerous down there. But I have to, so they can, the grandkids can meet uh, uh, their grandpa. So if you could remember, you shoot out a prayer for me. I'll yeah, be gone May yeah. 22nd, back June 11th in Canada. May so. 22nd to June 11th. May yeah, 22nd so. is my commissioning date in the U.S. Army back in 1999. It's when I became a lieutenant. Really? Yeah, those days they mark you, some, some of those dates <laughs> like that. So the hope, praying the Lord brings me back safe and keep on uh, ministering to my church. And I'm not as regular on the videos on, on, because, you know, I got my church ministry, but whenever right, I can, right. I try to pop something out there. Hey, you know, fun. if you, do you film your church ministries and put them on there? On, only on Facebook. Well, yeah, on yeah. 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 The messages and the sermons are on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, uh, we've got a lot of positive comments. Whenever people find out that you're coming on here, uh, people get excited. They love to hear from you. So I uh, appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. I, I feel like I learned something today. I, I know I did. And uh, this, this is great. So yeah, thanks. Same. Thanks so much. And uh, we will talk soon. Yeah. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. All right.